All right. Well, welcome back to Mankato Masters. And today we are sitting with two of the three of us. Uh, Miss Amy was a little bit sick today. And uh, so we just get to hang out with two of our friends and talk about one of my really good friends. <laughs> Supposedly, Maureen thinks that Danny is one of my good friends, Danny Elfman. So uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to take a little time today and walk through some of this guy's uh, theories about life and everything else. And uh, hopefully... You guys will walk away with something that was a little bit insightful. Let's start here. When it comes to the mentality of this guy, on a scale of 1 to 10 for you personally, all right, was this a 6 for you, an 8 for you, a 9 for you, a 10 for you, a 2 for you? As far as what? Like as how far well connected? As, or? Not how well connected, but like his level of insight when it comes to mm. what he does in particular. Yeah, you can cl- you can clearly tell he is a master at mm-hmm. what he does, and okay. so and, and it's so cool to listen to people who are great at their job. Mm-hmm. I love to listen to people who are like experts. Um, so in that sense, it was a ten. Yes, totally. I agree. He is brilliant. He, he, he is brilliant. He truly is. He was born this way. He just enhanced it through his lifetime he got into the right niche i mean just amazing person yes and this is why this master's class this is what i thought all of them were going to be is this (laughs) extremely niche people that are extraordinary at what they do and that's who i love to listen to Mm -hmm. right because there's a lot of people that are good at synthesizing the content that's out there or boiling like boiling it down or coming up with a cool little catchphrase to it but to be truly one of the masters like what we were saying before with donatello or michelangelo Mm -hmm. or some of these people that are true masters in history this guy kind of fits that for the music category right and it's not Mm -hmm. a big category that's maybe widely applicable but at least for the at least for the music category he is wildly talented Mm -hmm. and that's in in the thing that's kind of interesting about it is there's a little dark side to it Oh, sure. He's wildly talented, but there's definitely a dark side. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a dark side, but there's also like a deeply unsexy side to it. When I think of his job, it seems so glamorous. Right. You know, it's such like, it might be tortured because he has an artist's soul, you know, but (laughs) it's about the music. It's about connecting it to Uh, the visual. uh, And then he talks about budget for a while. Yes. He talks about staffing. He talks Mm -hmm. about organizational skills. And I'm like... Oh, every, like you can't escape it. There's no such thing. You always have to be concerned about budget and about somebody else's bottom line and all of it. So I loved that he mixed those two things. Yes, it's so true. So let's go there with the budget part of it because that's totally interesting. When he talks about like, especially the board with the days on it in Mm -hmm. particular, and he kind of has the days that count, you know, this many days into it and then this many days left. I thought that that was like one of the, more interesting parts of all of this it wasn't the best thing that he said but to think about a project of like okay we're gonna assign four days to this or two days like me and you sometimes talk about that mm-hmm. like okay this kind of seems like it's a two-day project or it mm-hmm. seems like it's a four-day project right mm-hmm. but the idea that you would make a board really quick and you're like okay well i can i'm two-thirds of the way through i better speed up and buckle down or mm-hmm. oh I'm, I'm okay i can take my time kind of writing out these yeah i love that he clearly has a process 
that works for him. And so you mentioned like, he's not trying to synthesize what this could mean mm-hmm. for you. He's literally just telling you what works this for him. This is how I do it for yes. me. And I want to know that. Yes. And I loved the board because it looks like he probably has them customized for himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like he probably orders like a hundred at a time and he just uh-huh. has like a storage room that he'll pull a new one out <laughs> for a new this. project. No. <laughs> yes. Just, just cross them out. Yeah, it is a cool idea. And the thing that's interesting about it is it's not digital. That part, mm. correct. It's not on a computer. It's not mm-hmm. on an iPad. Yeah. It's a board that sits up. The same reason I have my other boards I take down when clients are here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm digital. I'll cross it off when it's right. done or why I still make paper less mm-hmm. in, an, in an all digital world. But it's funny to hear somebody that's at that level of their craft going... I put it on paper to put it on purpose. I put it on the wall so we can cross it off. And that's how I'm doing my multi-gajillion dollar business. Uh-huh. So, But it shows a definite progression of organization within his creativity and putting something together. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not just these wild ideas. He actually puts a method to it. But he gets the wild ideas and he's got to 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 corral them i love the example where he's at his daughter's wedding mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he gets this great <laughs> tune in his head and the only thing he can do is get on his phone but he doesn't want to look like an asshole on his phone at his daughter's, at his wedding. daughter's <laughs> wedding it is like unless i get this out of my head i'm not going yeah. to mm-hmm. and then he talked about losing it yes and how it's like the big fish because he can't remember it so in his brain it's like the 50 foot fish that he caught or yes probably unrealistic 50 feet but yeah and I I think that's so applicable to so many things you it doesn't have to be a, a melody or something like I've gotten ideas for things as mundane as a birthday party or mm-hmm. as exciting as 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 something that's for work and then you don't write it down and it's just gone, gone. yeah just gone forever in strategic coach, when we did that wildly expensive training, um, one of the things that they talked about is like on days off, you know, not being okay with not writing that down because if the idea was good enough, you would remember it the next day. And you mentioned that, but I get stuff that flutters in and it's fantastic, and then I can't get it back. But strategic coach, they've all the research that's been done yeah. on it is it says if it's good enough the gist of the idea will stick with you because say, okay, it'll, it'll right. yeah, you should be able to transfer that from one day to the next day. I, I think that that makes sense. I do think that that's probably not like, it can't be across the board. There's gotta be a couple There's of always exceptions to the like, rules. Yeah. I'll never see that again. I'll never <laughs> see that again. Or you wake up in the middle of the night having had a dream or something and you, you, misplaced your notebook i keep a notebook by my bed for things such as that like Mm -hmm. just in case something wild comes to you but but what were you gonna say i oh i said said but yeah oh you said but i did but i i didn't have anything Mm -hmm. to back it up with so he talks about growing up in la uh living in baldwin hills and then kind of as a kid loving science and not having anything like you were saying before Mm -hmm. to do with music and he kind of thought radiology was going to be his thing and uh through that process finally um kind of lives at the cinema as a child and then from there decides to randomly go on this trip to africa here's what's interesting is because he spent so much time learning storytelling Mm -hmm. even when he tells his own story it's interesting. Right. 
Yeah. He's a very good storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it clearly is a skill that is in him that he doesn't have to use words for. Like, it makes mm-hmm. sense why he can write these yes. scores and tell a story with just the music mm-hmm. because he knows what a story should feel like. Mm-hmm. And that is a skill I do not have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's interesting about it is you can take a story that has nothing to do with music, but the way that he tells the story makes it a really good setup for when the music part of it kicks in. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that that's so cool that you can have somebody that's an expert at their craft who has a story that has nothing to do with their craft, but yet can relate it to their craft in a way that actually makes sense to it. And that's the beauty of storytelling. Oh, and in, in The Nightmare Before Christmas, my daughter, I have a daughter with Down syndrome, she gets hooked on a certain movie and then it's over and over. I mean, I, I speak fluent Disney. But um, with The Nightmare Before Christmas, some of that wasn't even supposed to be musical. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it was, he, he just got this tune in his head and that helped him tell the story. Yes. He could do it through music because it just got in his head. Yeah, that was a uniquely beautiful section of mm-hmm. this, I thought. Because also, he he just talked about he watched it and he could hear it mm-hmm. playing in his head mm-hmm. and that is that sounds like magic. It does. It does. It totally well, sounds the, like the magic. The Pee Wee Herman thing. Yes. He, just looking at it, he got that sound in his head yeah. and it fit perfectly mm-hmm. with with what it is and mm-hmm. i like how um he harkens back to the beginning of his career and i see this oftentimes with these people that are very good at what they do those initial things that they do in their career become really big points mm-hmm. and you can tell that with him because the first score Wee herman mm-hmm. right it has this huge emotional significance it may not be his best work but it has huge emotional significance and he kind of harkens everything back to that and not only the movie but it also the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. Right, he mentions that a couple of times, and you can kind of tell how emotionally significant mm-hmm. that is. Um, but a lot of people that are masters, you know, like going back and telling the story of, of the beginning, and you can clearly tell the dudes tell this told this Pee Wee Herman part of this not hundreds of times, but thousands of times mm-hmm. that he's honed that story to the point of being mm-hmm. that level of interesting. So, um. One of the things that he talked about, too, is he talked about the idea of um, the number one law. You remember this part? Is you finish on time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I like that because with so much of what I get to do, um, it is art, but you also have to, like, be ready on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, can you do your art within the constraints of whatever the client wants? And... I think artists that are unbridled and kind of get to go out and do whatever they want to, you know, I think there's a level of cool to that. But I also think there's another level of cool for me personally with here are these very, very tight constraints of what this has to be. And then can you make something cool within that? And Mm -hmm. it's fun to see somebody that's a master at that part of it, not Mm -hmm. a master of here's your endowment, go out and do whatever you need to do with it. It's here are the constraints, now make something beautiful Mm -hmm. out of it. And Mm -hmm. it's it's cool for me kind of as a little bit of an artist to go, well, if he can do that, you know, if he can can do that within those constraints. Yes, being creative on a timeline. Yes. Not a lot of people can do that. Not a lot of people can do that. What is the, what's the phrase the, or the quote, like, you can't think outside the box if the box doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it reminds me of that, like, it, the 
the constraints can push you to do something even more off the wall because mm-hmm. you've got something to push against versus mm-hmm. you, like like what Matt was saying with just doing whatever. Well, like what is what what is whatever what is whatever like yeah. you can do anything that even and i'm not an artist but that i <laughs> concept mm-hmm. is like overwhelming anything truly anything that's <laughs> terrifying yeah he, he talks about the spotting session um and talk about terrifying because the, the, the client says hey i want the music to kind of do this or hey mm-hmm. you know you have some um, directors who do know music right and then he says come on in let's do a spotting session and at least in my world the spotting session is what so many of the clients want to skip mm-hmm. they want to skip the spotting session right but in his world um he talks about how the clients come in or the director comes in and says okay the music starts at two minutes and 27 seconds and it goes out at at two minutes and 45 seconds okay now i have this little chunk of music and that becomes um you know number one thing that i need to do and number two thing and number three thing but the idea of a spotting session and hearing him talk through the process of how a spotting session works is applies so perfectly to what i do of you have this idea let's do the spotting session that needs to break down to be this and this and this and this, and then understanding that it's not necessarily what they're telling you. It's the emotion that they want to associate mm-hmm. with what they're telling you. And that part, I feel like I'm pretty good at, but it's fun to hear, at least for me personally, somebody that's an expert within the constraints. Now you have your game plan session. Now you have, or your spotting session is the word that he would use. Now you have your first, you know, track or whatever. Within that, what does it need to do? Well, here's the emotion that it's associated with, not necessarily here's how you do it, mm-hmm. right? Interesting. And okay. yeah, it's so cool to yes. me. It's so yes. cool to hear somebody else's process like this. When you this. think about, when you kind of put it that way, it makes me think about, so if I have a client come in, let's say for a convention Mm -hmm. and they know that they have a general session and a trade show and a handful of breakouts. um, And then this like one kind of weird thing that they do and they always kind of just adjust based on where they're located. And so they're, they kind of tell me that in the RFP or through email. And so I'm kind of trying to understand what they mean, but never makes sense over email. So then you get them in the building and you walk the space and you kind of tell them what you think it should be. And then they kind of tell you what they think it should be. And then somewhere in the middle, you get to what it is. And then they leave and they know what their event's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And it's the best part of the That's pre-planning. Cool. Yes. It's the spotting session. It, yes. it is. It's where everyone leaves and they're like, okay, okay. I feel good. We Got can the do vision. this. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's I one of my I know that I need 11 tracks of music. Or yeah. I know that I need 11 <laughs> spaces open yes. during those four days. And this is days. how we're going to use them. And, and it's the, my favorite part of of the sale really because mm-hmm. yeah. it's still part of that sale and i assume because he talked about this for earlier in his specifically with peewee how if he messed up the score it's like well well they can just get another composer in and and then they'll fix it but i'm just gonna try mm-hmm. right and and i feel like that's so accurate because like you can always get fired. Like <laughs> they can He's always not going to like it. Yeah, yeah. They can always just go a different way. Like, mm-hmm. Oh man, cater didn't work. So let's try St. Cloud. Like there's always <laughs> another option. So like you might as well just try to figure right. something out. So I appreciated that. He talked about that less as he, I assume nobody's really firing Danny Elfman anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> one thing talking about getting fired, um, 
he said, sometimes his clients come in and they say, we want more Danny Elfman. And he's like, I am Danny, Danny Elfman. I have to figure out which part of it mm-hmm. that they want more of me, which part of my personality do they want more? It's good, but can it be more Danny Elfman? And he's going, I am Danny Elfman, right? <laughs> um, that is something <laughs> that I don't know that I can really like identify with because mm-hmm. I, I don't have any clients that are like, I want more Mega Matt. You know? <laughs> They're like, but it's interesting it nonetheless. It's an it's, interesting thing. It's such a sign of his status. His genius. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, we want, we want Nightmare Before Christmas yeah. or we want mm-hmm. Pee Wee. Right. Whatever. But. Whatever that little piece of it is. To get to that level, maybe one day someone will be like, I need more Mega Mat. I need more Mega Mat. Mat. Need more uh, Cowbell. (laughs) (laughs) How cool that he um, hooked up with Tim Burton and they just got each other. I mean, even the styles in which they could work. You know, to have Burton so mellow, like, all right, sounds good. You know, just try this here. Okay, sounds good. And that's someone that's constantly hovering and wanting to hear everything. And, and you know, there was just that instant trust. Yeah. And though I, I really look at people that have had good collaborations in their mm-hmm. lifetime, and that's kind of the key to it. You know, yeah. They just click the chemistry, whatever. They have a success, and, and then they're off and running. Yeah. Totally. He kind of talked about that with his orchestrator also, but mm. he's been working with the same orchestrator for 35 years. Yep. It was a guy in his band mm-hmm. uh, who took a class on orchestration. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all of the credentials he had right. prior to it. But then he's stuck with him for all that time. And I, I, I agree. I like to see people who have um, a team of people that mm-hmm. have been with them. I think it shows longevity and, mm-hmm. and trust. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you get to use a lot more shorthand with that. Mm -hmm. And you can tell the people that he's around. He may be working with the director or the client, but there's a lot of shorthand that's happening because of that level of trust that goes along with it. Totally. One of my favorite things is he said, don't go nuclear. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And what did he mean by that? Sometimes when you are working on a project, right, you become invested in it. Mm And you're like, I want to get this to work. And you know that you're emotionally invested when you mm-hmm. get to the point where you're like, I could cry about this, right? And oftentimes when there's that level of emotion that's associated with whatever a project is, and this happens to me fairly often, where I become that invested in whatever the person's asking me to do. And there is moments where you're like, I want to go nuclear with mm-hmm. this, right? And he just gives us another tool about this idea of zooming out and mm-hmm. saying, I had this moment, it was with Tim Burton, the director guy, and I decided to go nuclear, right? I decided to blow it up. And had I in that moment just taken a step back and said, here's the picture of this moment, right? And what's happening? Okay, zoom out. Now I can see the full picture of everything that we've worked on together. Now I zoom out. Now I looked at the 50 directors that I've worked with, right? And now I look at it, you know, in comparison to all of these big pictures. And now it doesn't feel like it's so necessary to go nuclear, right? At that, it's not going to make or break who you are Mm -hmm. if that moment doesn't work. And when you're in the moment, it's so easy, even in relationships to feel like, is this the moment where I need to go nuclear? Mm -hmm. Right. But giving you the tool of the telescope of pulling back and pulling back and pulling back and seeing it in the context of maybe all of the other projects that you've worked um, on or all of the other relationships that you have uh, allows you to say, maybe this isn't 
a big enough deal to blow the relationship up mm-hmm. over whatever this issue is. Yeah, I have experienced that a lot as I've gotten older. You know, I've, I've got relationships, and a lot of my relationships are with people that I work with, or yep. you know, peers in different varieties. And when I was younger, it was like, like I, I've got to, I, I know that I'm right. I know I've got to do it my way. Yep. And now it, I give much more credence to the relationship. Is it worth risking the relationship to be right yeah. or to have it be my way? Mm-hmm. And and you only get to go nuclear mm-hmm. one time mm-hmm. and then it's done. Yep. And that's the part that's so hard. And I just love that idea of, of zooming back and saying, mm-hmm. is this really worth it? Mm-hmm. That's so hard though, right? That's what every therapist <laughs> tells you to do. <laughs> right. Take a step back, take mm-hmm. another step back. Right. Um, and to do that when you are really upset or really mm-hmm. um, disappointed or frustrated or, mm-hmm. or what have you is so difficult to do. Just And it takes a level of self-awareness I think to be able to take that step back because you have to recognize in the moment oh I, I'm I need, doing this yeah I'm doing this and if I do I really want to do this but to know yourself that well mm-hmm. um, takes a lot of work and a lot of time I think mm-hmm. one thing that I really appreciated is he said you know after the, the relationship went nuclear we met at a coffee shop I walked through the door he stuck out his hand and just said hey, can we go back to being regular? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a level of knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's also a little bit of guy law in there <laughs> where you're just like, and this happens with guys all of the time where if the relationship does go nuclear, all of a sudden you fast forward two years and then the guy can show up back in your world and be like, hey, let's let's just go back to work. And then two guys can yep. come back and then it just can go right back to where it was mm-hmm. and have it feel normal. And I think that that's so cool if it does go nuclear that you can get over yourself and meet at a coffee shop and just well, say, Some of my best relationships to- are, they went nuclear and we repaired it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we'd had that experience of, yeah. of working on the, the process. I think that you can have almost like a deeper level of mm-hmm. relationship with someone that you've mm-hmm. been through that with. You went nuclear one mm-hmm. time. Yeah, because you you know that you can get back mm-hmm. to where you were before. I think of a lot of like marriages mm-hmm. at some point, somebody's going to fly off the deep end. And if you have the ability to come back and to bring that mm-hmm. back center, I think that that kind of like, it's like the tear in the muscle, like the, when the muscle repairs, it gets a little bit stronger. Yeah. Um, I think friendships. And I, I honest, I think of my sisters, right? So there these people that I'm connected to mm-hmm. my whole life, no matter what I, when I was 18 years old, I hit my sister's car. I just tapped it. Nobody's car was damaged. When I was so <laughs> mad at her, I hit her car. Oh. And that is something she'll never let me get us. Again, nobody's car was damaged. Uh. Nobody had to do You went nuclear. <laughs> I went nuclear. Uh. And it was over something as mundane as like, I wanted to do my laundry first. It was so embarrassing uh. to look back on. Sure. But um, I did. And you know what? She's my best friend. So mm-hmm. I, you know, that you can kind of go back and then fight back forward and um, it wasn't a handshake at a coffee shop that got us back, but it was, um, in that case, it was like, well, I'm stuck with her, mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
But I think that in friendships, if if you sometimes have a little bit more of that, like, well, I want this person in my life. Mm -hmm. So I've gone nuclear or they've gone nuclear, but let's, let's fight back to get to this. Because in their case too, they had a very lucrative friendship. You know, they were doing very well together. Mm -hmm. So to separate those two was not only probably personally and emotionally difficult but it was had the potential of being financially financially disastrous yeah yeah and not only for them but their whole team that that goes along with them so and one thing that i liked about that story is how he talked about if you throw time in the mix Mm -hmm. that that can be such a helpful thing Mm -hmm. i think it's just a really good illustration for if it does go nuclear one you're going to give it some time two at least if it's a guy to guy thing and there is something that you can work on because that's how guys bond is you're working on something together and then just meeting, putting it at the foreground, taking a minute to talk about it mm-hmm. and then moving on and going back to actually like doing regular work. I don't know. It's just fun to hear that type of creative spirit going, hey, I'd kind of do it like you would do it, Matt, or I, I'm, I guess I'm doing it like he would do it. Mm-hmm. I, I just like that. So um, he talked about sometimes you have to hang your ego uh, on the coat rack at the door. Mm hmm. And even just to take, for instance, this last weekend and what I was working on, which was a fairly high level show, we had about 1500 people that were watching and, uh, it was wildly, um, underproduced, Mm -hmm. so to speak, because there was just a lot of things that were hanging, but hanging my ego at the door and just being helpful and saying, this is what's in front of me right now. Let's just deal with what this is and not, and not saying this should have been done this way. Right. Um, is very, very difficult to do, especially when you know how it could be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like that even at the top level of these people should be totally prepped, hanging your ego at the door and just saying, here's what the reality of this is. The facts are your friends. Don't stick the emotions into it. And then kind of moving on from there, I think it's it's fun to hear that even at the top level, it's still important to hang your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and I think that this is just a reminder that he's, he's an expert. Mm-hmm. He's people, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> so right. he's got to remember the same people issues that we do. And I always think it's neat to mm-hmm. have that reminder. Yes. Like he's got the same issues and problems mm-hmm. that we do. And mm-hmm. yeah. No, I agree though, and that's like so hard to do, it's especially so when you vastly been- similar at the top level versus even what we're doing. How can there be this much similarity? You know, standard right. human behavior. It's totally standard human behavior. So, what, what were you gonna say, kind of? Well, just when you've give, been given so many accolades, right, and you've been mm. you've been validated for your ideas. And then somebody questions it or says, "Well, that's mm-hmm. not really what I wanted," or or what have you. To, to to then, I, I think it's probably part of why he's been successful is that he can say, okay, let's let's figure this out. Let's mm-hmm. let's uh, make sure it's it's the vision for right. your. Because I think he seems to re- always realize like he is hired to do that job. Mm-hmm. He's not doing it for fun. He's not doing it as as a gift or something. He's been hired for a specific job. Mm-hmm. And, and well, you probably run into that, you know, being a creative person, that it's your business. Yep. And you probably have people that think you just do it for fun. You know, the fact that you have to get paid, the yeah. fact that it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's the business side of it. I'm sure you run into that a lot. All the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. Even yesterday, I was visiting with a doctor on the phone mm-hmm. and 
And he he's like, well, can you just come out and set up your 30-foot screen and put a projector up and, you know, we'll have some hot dogs or something for you and your family if you want to bring them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no. <laughs> that's That sounds like a full day of actual real hard right. labor and work. Yeah. You yeah. know, like and I'm not going to do that just for right. some hot dogs. But mm-hmm. Maybe the last thing here and then we'll wrap up. Talked about influence versus homage versus plagiarism. So he had these three ideas. He talked about the idea of I was influenced by this other piece of work, mm-hmm. right? Or I was influenced by seeing this, you know, piece of art or, or listening to this piece of music, versus an homage to that piece of music, versus just straight up plagiarism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And having categories for that. And the language, you know, oftentimes with mental health, they talk about once you have language that goes around with it, it kind of takes away some of the taboo or it makes it easier to understand what you're feeling because you have words and kind of a way of talking about it. Mm -hmm. And this topic in particular, especially with what I do, where there's always an homage to whatever the other event was Mm -hmm. or an homage to this other set of content, you know, or is it just straight up plagiarism? And for him to kind of talk about these three different levels of I'm influenced by this idea or it's close enough that it's an homage to the idea versus where is that line and when do you cross the line to actually being plagiarism Mm -hmm. and having three words that step up in the hierarchy Mm -hmm. of starting with being influenced by it, moving up to it's an homage to this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's close enough that if somebody watched it, they would go, oh, it's very similar to Mm -hmm. this, right? And homage is kind of okay, but when you cross the line and you move into plagiarism and having kind of three words that you can talk about that with whoever the client is of... You might come in and say, I want it to feel like such and such, or I need it to feel like such and such, or it needs to be similar to such and such. Okay, well, is this an homage or is this plagiarism, Mm -hmm. right? And even with what I did this weekend where it was definitely borderline between, (laughs) you know, the homage and plagiarism, right? (laughs) It's definitely somewhat close there, but yet there was elements that were just wildly different, right? Mm -hmm. And knowing that it's okay to have it be an homage, but not okay to step the line and and actually have it be plagiarism, I think is a very, very helpful thing for me personally. Mm So any thoughts on homage versus well they, they always say um it, with someone that copies you it's the it's the greatest compliment mm-hmm. the whole idea that they want to but then the plagiarism would be if they copied you and didn't give you credit yes so yeah i think to steal ideas is one thing but to want to emulate what you're doing is flattering right, right. um i often think of this in like and my my idea my version is so boring. It's like, well, how do they set up a room, <laughs> <laughs> or what kind of furniture are they using, mm-hmm. or um, what's the lighting situation? I went to Mystic Lake right after they opened their convention center, and I was like, oh, this is interesting carpet <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, I Mystic think Lake does have interesting. They carpet. have very I've interesting carpet. Um, <laughs> but uh, with my business, they're if you plagiarize, first of all, no one would call it plagiarizing. They might call it copying at best mm-hmm. because uh, the it, there's 
there's an inherent lack of consistency mm. in like what a room is going to look like, how a building is run, what have you. However, if you just straight up steal from another place, <laughs> then you're not interesting anymore. Right. You you lose a sense of uniqueness. I mean, the number one compliments we get on our building is for the Ellerby room, which was built in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. I can't, no one can, no. can replicate that. Right. So, um, I think that you really hamstring yourself when you plagiarize, not only because it's kind of, it's morally wrong, mm-hmm. but it's also boring. Right. Yeah. Come up with something new. Mm-hmm. What was interesting is after he had the discussion about the influence versus homage versus plagiarism, he actually gives us a really specific way to um, get out of it. And basically what he says is he says, find the unique and then iterate on it. So find whichever piece of it is unique and then take that little piece of uniqueness, whatever that is, and create a whole bunch of iterations of it. So maybe it works like this, maybe it works like this, maybe it works like this. And through that process of iterating on it, you'll take the thing that was working and now it doesn't become plagiarism. It becomes something that's unique, special, and different, specific to what that client or that director wants you to do right Mm -hmm. so having an antidote for these three different levels of how similar is it to be with what you came through the door with right and then understanding okay well here's the one part of it that's unique and then our job is step three is to iterate on that and come up with here's the different iterations for Mm -hmm. how we could do it for you specific to what your your movie is or your event is or Mm -hmm. your your kind of group is. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that about him. Mm-hmm. So uh, the last thing that we'll wrap up with and we'll call it good is he talked about at the ending and he slipped into his storytelling voice uh, at the very end. And he talked about, you know, the campfire is burning and mm-hmm. the horses are unsaddled. And you know, he slips into this storytelling um, piece of it. And it was interesting because he started with a story and then even for his master class, he wrapped up with mm. the campfire is burning. The lights have gone down. Mm-hmm. You know, the horses are unpacked. And I don't even know that he knows that he's doing it, but it's such good uh, how you create a master class. And even within your master class where you're teaching how to Bring do all of together. this stuff, mm-hmm. he's still doing what he's teaching. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really thought that that was cool that he slipped into that and... And then he wrapped it all up. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. So oh, He really is a master. Mm-hmm. Yes. He fits the definition of a master's class. Mm-hmm. Art versus craft. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is it for this time. We will see you back here next week. And uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with you. Thank you so much. Thanks.